This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agopymatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. This week's guest is biological anthropologist, Dr. Helen Fisher. Helen Fisher is a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, Indiana University, and a member of the Center for Human Evolutionary Studies in the Department of Anthropology at Rutgers University. Prior to that, she was a research associate at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Dr. Fisher has written six books, two of which are like top five favorites. I'll talk about more about that later, but she's written about evolution and the future of human sex, love, marriage, gender differences in the brain, how your personality style shapes who you are and who you love and more. She's also the chief scientific advisor for the internet dating site match.com. I mentioned some of, some of her books are my favorites and just really quick, Anatomy of Love, A Natural History of Mating, Marriage, and Why We Stray, and Why Him, Why Her, Finding Real Love by Understanding Your Personality Types. That we'll talk about it. But Dr. Fisher, welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. Thank you. Thank you. And call me Helen. Helen, yes. Okay. Now that I have your permission, I just get so nervous. <laughs> I have met you a few times, but I know you don't know because you're busy and you you talk at different conferences and I'm the fangirl that comes to the conferences because anytime you speak, I want to listen. I, I can't even express like how influential, you know, this is my podcast. You're just, everyone's just going to have to cope right now because rare do I get a fangirl moment? And this is me fangirling <laughs> because I read your books at really pivotal, like they came out at really pivotal times in my life. Like, you know, uh, the anatomy of love that came out when did that come out well, uh, the first in 1993. Right. And so I remember 93 and then again, uh, 2016, right. Completely revised. And I remember like kind of taking it out, like when I was in college, just like, Oh, anatomy of love. I want to learn more about that. You know, I like, just kind of understanding a little bit, but then why him, why her comes out just as I started my business. And I was like, yes, this framework makes so much sense when I look at people and how I'm supposed to match them. And I just want to just start off by the show by saying, thank you. Thank you so much just for existing and doing all the work that you do. It's just incredible. Thank you. Thank you. But this is the perk of having a podcast. And that's like, you can fangirl when you're ready to fangirl. All right. So now that you're here, so many questions that were sent to us from our listeners but I want to ask just you a few questions, like just, just to go a little bit, kind of go back to basics. When you went to study in college, did, did you think you would take this route towards romantic love or just evolution of love? In college, I just loved anthropology. I just, you know, I took so many psychology courses and, but it was anthropology that really helped me explain things. I mean, you know, I mean, a good 50% of who you are does come out of your DNA. And so, I mean, I certainly know that your, your, your childhood experiences and your adult experiences do mold, you know, who you are. But the bottom line is, you know, some people are just very curious. Others are very stubborn. Some are very good at math. Some have very good 
people skills. And I just, I'm, I'm an identical twin. And I knew from the time I was six years old that there was biology to behavior because everybody <laughs> asks an identical twin, you know, do you, do you like the same food? Do you have the same friends? Do you have the same cavities in your teeth? And once as a child, somebody asked me, do I, do we think alike? And I remember as a child thinking, well, that's pretty weird. How would I know how she thinks? But anyway, I've spent my life trying to figure out, you know, how people think and why, what comes out of their biology. So I think in college, I was just interested in anthropology generally. But when I got to graduate school, particularly when I had to write my PhD dissertation, at that time, um, um, everybody believed that the mind was an empty slate on which you just inscribe personality. And I knew that wasn't true because of being an identical twin. So I decided if there's any part of personality that must have evolved, it must be our systems for romance and attachment. Because, you know, as Darwin said, you know, if you have four children and I have no children, you live on and I die out. So the bottom line is how you court, who you choose, who you settle in with, who you have babies with is, is going to evolve as a survival mechanism. And so that's why I chose to, to study love because I thought any part of personality at all that would have evolved, it would be our romance and, and, and attachment systems. Just to take a step back, you said like in personality, right? You, we have two parts. We have our culture and experiences. So I assume you, Helen, and your sister, you, your parents loved you the same. Well, that's and- the way we felt. I, mean, I, I, don't, I didn't feel any, any sort of... Um, right. Any and-, and there was nothing different in the school system. And, uh, you know, I mean... No two people are alike, Marie. You know, Maria. That uh, you know, no two people are exactly alike. But uh, we have this. I mean, you say that you're told me that you're the people that listen to your podcast understand something about personality and my four styles of thinking and behaving. I mean, both my twin sister are truly our explorers. Uh, we both travel all around the world. We try all kinds of new things. We're very energetic. We're very curious. A lot of the same things. But um, you know, she's a painter. And I'm a writer. Well, those are two different jobs. But we both spend our time, you know, we both um, spend our lives being creative. That's how we make a living. Um, we both work alone, uh, both writers and painters. Are you both work- explorers? Oh, but we're both explorers. And we're both negotiators. Absolutely. And we're both pretty low on the testosterone system. I don't think she can add any better than I can add. Um and we, we both have very little of the serotonin system. We're not at all traditional, uh, conventional. We don't necessarily follow the rules unless they make sense. Right. Uh, uh, we're not detailed-oriented. We like the big theories, uh, et cetera. Yeah, we're very similar in many ways, but we're not exactly alike. I've never met two people who I thought were exactly alike. But there's patterns to be, there's patterns to personality, and that's what interests me, and why those patterns evolve, and the role that those patterns play in courtship. Right. Outside of personality, when it comes to love, I feel like one of the things I learned is that because there is a whole system when it comes to love, how we love, our personality can change based on love. Like I've heard people say to me, for instance, like, oh, I could never understand why someone cheats, but then all of a sudden they fall in love with someone when they're married. And it's like, oh, now I understand. 
Yeah. Well, there's no, I mean, we all love, I mean, around the world, I mean, we've got data on over 200 societies. I mean, around the world, people pine for love, they live for love, they kill for love, and they die for love. So the basic brain system, and as you know, I, I and my colleagues have put over 100 people into a brain scanner and found the brain circuitry for romantic love. So we all inherited that ability to fall in love, the feelings of it, but who you fall in love with, where you fall in love, how you express that love, that's going to be not only very individual but cultural it's like disgust i mean disgust is a system you know in, in america we don't eat dogs in other cultures some people eat dogs i mean in our culture we don't eat insects and up the amazon river some of these are very high protein things that people find delicious so yeah. the bottom line is oh, let's take religion you know we know i mean scientists it's not my study scientists know that there's a gene in the serotonin system uh, associated with what is called religiosity. Um, and so if you acquire that gene in America, you're more likely to be Christian or Jewish. And if you grow up in, in Iran, you're going to be more likely to be uh, Islamic. So the, the drive to feel the feelings of, of religiosity are inherited but your culture dictates or, or drives you to predisposes you to follow this religion rather than that in the same way, just like you said, you know, you know, we all feel romantic love. Uh, some people can, can clearly understand what, why they cheat long before they do it. Other people have a different kind of personality, couldn't imagine it. And then boom, they fall in love with somebody and that goes down the tubes and <laughs> they suddenly get it. So I mean, your culture always plays a role in what you do and how you feel. But basically, we have personalities. We do have personalities. And it's my guess is the kind of person who doesn't understand why anybody would cheat and then does cheat is probably going to suffer much more guilt than the kind of person who understands cheating, doesn't seem to think there's a problem with it, and then continues to do it regularly. So I think that both are likely to cheat, but their feelings about the cheating and who they are and their feelings of responsibility are going to change. So no question about it. Um, you know, your culture plays a big role in who you are. But basically, we are predisposed to have certain attitudes, certain values, certain ways of thinking and behaving. Explain like a little bit more about you know, so the three processes or systems that you've talked about in the past are, you know, revolve around um, sex drive, romantic love, and attachment to a long-term partner. Tell me a little bit more about like sex drive. How does that relate to love? Well, I, I, I just as you said, and I'm, thank you so much for reading my books. I really appreciate it. Well, what we've I've been able to establish is that we've evolved these three different brain systems for mating and reproduction. Sex drive being one, second being romantic love, and the third being feelings of deep attachment, but they are often very connected. When you have casual sex with somebody, casual sex is not casual. <laughs> Things happen in the brain. And in fact, any stimulation of the genitals can drive up the dopamine system that's linked with feelings of romantic love. And you can go over that threshold into falling in love with somebody who you had not intended to. And with orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin linked with the attachment system in the brain. And you can feel deeply attached to somebody who you just climbed into bed with and didn't have any intention of feeling attached. And certainly uh, having sex with somebody drives up the testosterone system. So you want to have more sex. So the less sex you have, the less you're likely to want to have, the more you have, the more you're going to like to, you know, to have sex. So 
I mean, sex is good for you, by the way. So the bottom line is three, these three brain systems can, can be connected. Jump into bed with somebody, boost the dopamine system, feel intense romantic love, have an orgasm, flood of oxytocin and feeling deep attachment to somebody. But bottom line is they're not always connected. And that's what's so difficult, really. You know, you can lie in bed at night and feel deep feeling of attachment for one person. And then the brain can swing into feelings of wild romantic love for somebody else. And then swing into feelings of the sex drive for somebody in the office or somebody in your social circle who you really don't feel any romance or attachment for. So these three brain systems can really work together or they can really work separately. And that's the danger of hopping into, I mean, I don't care what people do as long as they, you know, don't shoot my president. (laughs) But uh, um, I do think that um, casual sex is not casual. Unless you're so drunk, you can't remember it. Things happen in the brain. You can fall in love. You can feel deeply attached. You can want to have more sex with them, uh, et cetera. These brain systems can be connected or unconnected. Is this the same for both genders? Yes, absolutely. As what's interesting, you know, I, I do this annual study with Match called Singles in America. Mm-hmm. And every year we poll 5,000 Americans. We do not poll the Match members. This is a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. census. And what's really interesting is very recent data. You know, we asked, I, I cook up about 200 questions along with my friends at Match and, and with a colleague of mine, Justin Garcia. So every year I, we ask about 200 questions. We poll this this 5,000 group of people and men find these one night stands more intimate than women do. Men are more inclined to think that a one night stand can lead to a long-term partnership than, than women can. So it's one of the reasons that they're more likely to want to have sex right off the bat because uh, they're hoping to trigger the, they don't know it, but they're hoping to trigger these brain systems in the partner and, and have it lead to a more substantial partnership. I'm I'm shocked right now. And there's no way my listeners are also shocked because I feel like it's the opposite. I know. You're so, saying that your data suggests otherwise. It doesn't suggest it. It shows it. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, we don't know much about men. It's unbelievable. I have been trying to tell the women's magazines this for 40 years, 40, not four, 40 years. You know, men fall in love faster than women do because they're so uh, visual. They fall in love more often than women do. Um, when they meet somebody that they are in love with, they want to introduce them to friends and family sooner. Men want to move in sooner. Men have more intimate conversations with their partners than women do because women have their real intimate conversations with their girlfriends and men are two and a half times more likely to kill themselves when a relationship is over. So when it comes to love, men are the more fragile. Like, we're all fragile. I mean, nobody, nobody gets out of love alive. We all struggle. No question about that. But uh, men are a little more fragile than women. I'm like shocked. But now I think this is such a good leeway into the questions that we receive from our listeners, which I feel like kind of speak to what you're saying right now. So is that okay? Absolutely. Awesome. Let's start off with this one. My boyfriend and I grew up in the same town and went to middle school together. He's like me since the sixth grade. Fast forward two years later, we found ourselves back home for the summer of 2019 We spent more time together and reconnected. And in October of 2019, we started dating. I felt differently towards him and wanted to give the relationship a chance. 
It's now been a year and a half and it's been pretty good. I really do love him. We're very different, but there is chemistry and a tender love between us that fuels our relationship. I don't think he sees any huge issues and would marry me tomorrow if he could. I, however, overthink everything. I am worried he says a lot of things and has good intentions, but won't act. He knows health, spirituality, family, and my Spanish, Spanish culture are very important to me. He often says he will eat healthier. He'll go to church more. He'll read more. He'll take Spanish lessons, but he doesn't do it. Or he'll take one step and then stop. I appreciate his intentions, but I worry that he doesn't carry them out. I almost lose a little trust in him. Is this an issue with me or communication in our relationship? or a lack of effort on his part, I'm not sure what to do. These things bother me. And if he doesn't step up, I don't think I want to go further with him, but he loves me so much and sees me clearly from the day we met that I want to make it work. I really love him too, but I'm almost scared to love him too much for the fear I'll be disappointed in him. I would love any advice. Well, right off the bat, you really can't change people. I mean, right off the bat, you really can't change people. You sort of got to love what you've got. No, people can change. Um, But she's just listed some pretty big things. I mean, going to church, reading more, uh, I guess learning Spanish. I can't remember all of them, but there's an awful lot of things she wants him to do. If it were me, I think I would come to grips with who he is. If I can't tolerate who he is, I guess I would talk to him about it and say, listen, here are (laughs) here are some of the things that are really important to me. Is there any one of them that you could do and talk it out and see what happens to see, give him six months to see if it happens. But I think she's starting with the, a very dangerous premise that she's out to give him a makeover uh, to please her. I wonder if she's ever asked him what changes he'd like to make in her. This also seems a little one-sided uh, would he like her to be to go to church less and play tennis with them on Sunday morning? Uh, you know, would he like her to learn a different language that they learn together? So anyway, I, I, I'm, I don't think it's a matter of trust. I think she's not accepted who he is. Right. And um, I think it's dangerous to love somebody who you hope they will be uh, rather than who they are. So I think she's got to relook her, look, you know, re- rethink her priorities. But anyway, I don't know. I haven't gotten the impression that she's actually talked to him about this. I guess she must have because he says he makes one step forward. So he obviously knows what he should do. I don't like that word should, what somebody should do to please me. That worries me in a relationship. So, um, I mean, I guess what she should do is think about how much this is important to her. Right. Is this really the kind of thing that's really important to her? Now, she sounds very young. I think they were lovers in the sixth grade, and then it was like a year and a half. And now they've been together for a year and a half. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether they're still in high school. I think he apparently had a crush on her in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> but they're in their 20s now, in their mid-20s. Okay. They're in their 20s. In your 20s, this is the height of your reproductive years. I mean, if she wants to get married and have somebody who's dying to go to church and dying to learn Spanish and dying to be part of family. And this guy isn't making an effort at that. I would take that very seriously. And it's not a matter of trust. I don't even think it's a matter of love. Uh, Clearly he loves her, but as time goes by, if he's not making that effort now, it's because that's not who he is. 
I guess I was struck by seeing it was a lot of her values that she feels like they're misaligned. You know, she's yeah. talking about like health, church, <laughs> reading, uh, her culture. Like these are, this is a value set that has so much less to do with like someone's temperament maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, by the way, there's a lot of psychological data that we tend to fall in love with somebody from the same socioeconomic background. They seem to be that Um, same general level of intelligence and good looks and education, probably that. But also uh, we tend to fall in love with somebody with the same values uh, and goals. And they don't seem to have that. And your values don't change. They don't change. Now we probably, you know, I mean, I'd want somebody who reads, that's for sure. I mean, she better think this one through. And it's not about her. It's not about trust. It's not even about him. It's about the fact that they're so different in such basic ways. And she says that. She says that we're very different. Well, are you going to be able to do this 20 years from now? I mean, 20 years from now, you're probably going to be going to church by yourself. You're probably going to be reading by yourself. You're probably speaking Spanish with your family, but maybe not with him. Mm. Your children might not be growing up speaking Spanish if your husband doesn't do it. Look down the road and see whether this is something that you can cope with. Because the bottom line is people don't really change their basic values, even when they're madly in love, which is what she's seen. She's seen all this right before her eyes. She just hasn't incorporated it into her hope system. She's still hoping. I think you bring up an excellent point, you know, and, and values, I think that's a perfectly reasonable reason, reason to, I don't know if it makes sense, but to, to break up with someone. Or let it run its course. I mean, the day's right. going to come when she's, some of the intense infatuation is wearing off. If she's very young, she's got enough time. The later we, ma- I mean, I've got data on 80 cultures. The later you marry, the more likely you are to remain married. So if she's in her early 20s. She's got some time. Is there I mean, a magic age? I, I feel like I've read that the magic age number is like 27. Like if you date someone for more than two years and you get married after the age of 27, the divorce rate plummets. That's certainly a good part of it. Um, what they've, what the data in America is a study of, of 30,000 Americans, as, as they found is if you um, marry somebody after about one to two years of courtship, as opposed to less than a year of courtship, you're 20% less likely to the divorce. And if you marry somebody after three or four years of, of courtship, um, you're 39% less likely to divorce. So uh, the longer you court, the less likely you are to divorce. And as I say, I've looked in 80 societies through the demographic yearbooks of the United Nations. And this data from 1947 to 2011, I wrote about this in my book, Anatomy of Love. And as it turns out, uh, the later, the longer you court and the later you wed, the more likely you are to stay together. So I'm not clear. I guess they've been going out out for a year and a half. Um, It sounded as if she said, well, he'd marry me tomorrow if he could. So it sounds like he can't uh, yet. And that's probably good because they need some real things to sort out. <laughs> I mean, she better look in the mirror and say, do I want to go to church on Sundays alone for the next 40 years? Right. Do I want to read alone while he's watching television or out playing games, ball games, you know? Um, you know, do I want to uh, speak only English to my children and never Spanish because he doesn't speak Spanish? I said, do I want to look down the road? Can you cope with what you've got? That's right. a big question in a project. You've got to be able to love what you've got. People don't change. 
I love that. I mean, I love what you're saying. I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to really resonate with her and um, I hope she makes some good choices. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have to make any choice right away. She's, she can keep on sorting it out, but mm-hmm. I would lower her expectations on him making huge changes. Go to our next question. It has been over 10 years since I have been in any kind of relationship, parentheses, trust issues after an abusive guy. Finally got out of my comfort zone and went on hinge. The first guy I start talking to is amazing. We started talking in August of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. We started dating. And since we both have secluded jobs, it was safe to be around each other. And all my thick walls crumbled around him. He is a true Southern gentleman. Things are going amazing. And he asks me to be his girlfriend in the middle in in November. Excuse me. So he asks me to be his girlfriend in November. So they started dating in August or started talking in August, they became official in November. His lease was up and I'm in the process of buying my first home. So we moved in together a month ago. Timing just seems to align perfectly and be written in the stars. My question is, why has he never said, I love you? I want to shout it and shake this man because I am head over heels. (laughs) I was not expecting the end. Yeah, I wonder, he's probably head over the heels too. I mean, I just can't imagine why we would move in uh, so briefly after, you know, uh, after uh, just meeting in August and then in November, November moving in. That's right. Yeah. Later. I mean, that's. Well, November, they started dating and I guess they moved in in March. Oh, okay. That's still very, that's still very short. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, it would be hard for me to imagine, you know, that he just hasn't said it yet. You know, I, you know, I think I told you that I got married recently and I'm in my seventies. Congratulations. <laughs> one of the yeah. things that uh, uh, I decided myself is I'm never going to say it first. I'm just not going to say it first. And we went out for, I don't know, even a couple of years. And then finally one night we were at the opera and he was holding my hand all of a sudden I almost looked at him as if he was shaking and he whispered and then he said, he whispered, he said, I love you. And, you know, I said, I love you back. So I think people choose their moment. I think she's wait, got a patient. Wait, 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 Helen, hold up. You dated your now husband for a few years before you heard, I love you. Uh, yeah. A couple of years, at least, uh, at least people do this at different times. It means different things to different people. Um, you know, I mean, we're always throwing it around as girls just saying to my girlfriends, Oh, I love you. You know, all this kind of stuff. But different people say it differently. And he might be one of these guys where I love you means I'm going to marry you and have all your babies. I mean, get, you know, give you all your babies. It may be exceedingly meaningful for him. He may not want to do it until he has lived with her for quite a while. And by the way, I mean, what's wrong with her saying it to him? One of the things that we're learning about the whole Me Too movement is something like ni- over 90% of men, this is once again a, a, a national study scientifically done, over 90% of men would be perfectly happy, or at least they say they would, be perfectly happy if a woman asked them for their telephone number, would be perfectly happy if a, a woman invited them out, would be perfectly happy if the woman initiated the first kiss, but women won't do it. You know, in, in business, women want to be absolutely equal. But in courtship, they want to be courted. And that's what this woman wants to be courted. So maybe she should just buck up and just say, I love you. Let's see what happens. You know, uh, and if he doesn't say anything, I think she's in a bit of trouble. So she's got two choices. Either she sits it out, which is what I did, because I didn't want to rush him. 
I knew, you know, for, well, I could tell you my whole story is sort of amusing, but he didn't want to get into a relationship at all, which was fine with me. I was just going to just be friends. And then one night he popped the thing that he wanted to be friends with benefits. And I said to him, I said, well, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to do that with you. But, uh, you know, when you have sex with somebody, you can trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love. Are you willing? Did you really talk to him that clinically? Yeah, it was, it was even cuter than that. I mean, uh, not cute. We had been just friends for a, a year. He was going through a horrible divorce. I mean, horrible, really bad divorce. She was, well, anyway, the bottom line is after a year of just, you know, just going to the opera and then he'd give me a hug and I'd take a, I'd get, we certainly go home separately. After one year of this, you know, we were, we were going to, well, I live in Manhattan, New York, and so does he. And we'd gone out, we we're going to go out for dinner, take a walk and then go play pool. And for some reason, after a year of just a hug and going home by myself, I don't know, I, for some reason, I pulled the cocktail napkin out from underneath my drink at the dinner. And I said, secretly, I said, why don't we just write down on this cocktail napkin, each of us, you know, what we would like to win if we win at pool. And I wrote down a real kiss. I didn't know what he had written down. Anyway, we go play pool. And he creams me at pool. I mean, I didn't know much about pool. And he'd grown up with a pool table in his basement. So he creamed me. And I opened his cocktail napkin and it said, sex and clarity. So <laughs> I said, well, I got the sex part, but what do you have in mind for clarity? And he really wanted friends with benefits. And it was now 3 a.m. And I, you know, we weren't going to do anything that night. And I, I, we were walking uptown and I said to him, I said, well, you know, you know, I study love and uh, casual sex really isn't very casual. I said, are you willing to, you know, if we're going to start having sex, you're, are you willing to take the chance of falling in love with me? Hmm. Because if you're not willing to do that, we can't start this because it could happen. And he said, yes, he was willing to. Well, anyway, then we started on the sex with benefits and, um, you know, he had a teenage son who was still at home and he was a single father. There was no way we were going to move this into anything official, which I respected. I went into it understanding that. And then so we went out for, you know, a couple of years and saw each other absolutely regularly. And we did go out for dinner and we did go to various things, but it was a more casual. And then his son went off to college and and he came that day and said, well, we can spend more time together now, which we did for, I don't know, maybe another year or so. I'll have to ask him when he first said it to me. But the bottom line is I, I'm the kind of, I didn't want to say it first. I think that he was very leery about getting, into, I knew that he was very leery about getting into another relationship and I didn't want to press him and I didn't need it. I felt that he, I knew he wasn't going out with anybody else. I, he wrote me every day. Uh, we saw each other several times a week and I didn't feel any urgency for it. and But I was determined to not say I love you before he did. But Very. you felt it. Oh, yeah. I th yeah, sure. I've absolutely felt it. Uh, and I would have loved to have said it, but no way was I going <laughs> to. I mean, I know um, I should be the ultimate feminist and say, you know, you know, push all the buttons. But I, uh, I wanted him to do it first, just the way she does. So she's got two choices, quite obvious ones. Either she waits it out or she bursts it herself. And I don't know what kind of guy he is. He might be waiting for her to say it, you know? Let, you know? Me, let me ask you a follow-up question here then, because, so I, I, I want to preface this by saying, so every Wednesday on Instagram, I do this thing called Ask a Matchmaker where people ask questions and I give them no-nonsense answers based on 
me being a professional matchmaker and my own experience of having set up just thousands of people. I get this question of when, when do we need to say, I love you bye? When should it be said by? And I've always avoided answering it. But part of me secretly believes that if he doesn't know by six months, and I'm talking about men below the age of like 45, like, you know, if a woman wants to have kids, there's a different clock that we're like living at. You know, we're not 68 and 70 years old. You know, a 28 year old woman, a 38 year old woman, a 42 year old woman, she can't be dating a guy for two years thinking, I God, I hope he loves me. And so I say, you know, usually say, I don't, I don't always know the answer to this one, but sometimes I think maybe six months, if you don't know at six months, I feel like that is knowing something else. Yeah. So I'd love to know your thoughts on that, but also to Can go I back to that before. I oh yes. Answer that. Answer that. So yes. I, I studied this cause I wanted, uh-huh. you know, this, I'm so crazy about the young, I, you know, they've invented all of these terms. It's a very cautious and a very interesting generation, these Gen Zs and these millennials. They want to know. They want transparency. They want honesty. And okay. they're playing the game for, for the long haul. They really are. And I've got a lot of data on that. These are not casual folks, the young. But anyway, I asked the question, you know, this term, a DTR, define the relationship. Right. If I asked in one of my Singles in America studies with Match. It's my most uh, common question every Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, it is. And, yeah. I, and I asked, what, how long should you go out with somebody before you have popped that question, define the relationship? And, I, you know, you could check one month, four months, whatever. For me, it would be well, five weeks. The average was four months. Four months. Four months. And actually, I, as an older person, thought that was remarkably short. <laughs> I'm not positive you can know that much about somebody in four months. But the young want to know, and they want to know right off the bat. And okay, that's not exactly the question, you know, do you love me? But it's pretty close. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where are we headed here? You know, am I wasting my time? Uh, what do you, you know... Uh, and so uh, that's what I would say, um, that the, the average time of beginning to define the partnership is about four months. That's what singles today want. They want okay. to know after about an average of four months. Now, there's some people who are going to want to know instantly, uh, and there's others who are going to wait a long time. I mean, this, this is just an average. Right. Uh, but the bottom line is, yeah, people want to know. And okay. I don't blame them. They're re- exactly what you said, which is really important. These are people of reproductive age. I mean, the whole bottom, I mean, romantic love evolved as a drive. It comes way down to the bottom of the brain. It's a drive. It's a drive to find life's greatest prize and, um, you know, pair up and uh, send your DNA into tomorrow. So it's a, the game of love is real and people want to know what's going on. And they have every right to know what's going on. So uh, I would say to this woman, though, I mean, he did move in. <laughs> I well, guess and so that's my second question to you. So look, I know there's two types of people here. So you might be the second part type of person. But so what I'm about to say does not apply to Europeans. I know, especially Northern Europeans, you guys move in and have like civil partnerships. So if you're listening from Sweden and the UK, this is not for you. But um, in America, um, in the US specifically, I think about how like, I belong to the camp of like, "Mm, maybe you should be engaged before you move into each with each other. And the reason why I feel like that is because now this is not, I have, I don't have a study to look at. I I haven't done anything like that, but I have set up people. I I have real world experience that I've noticed that sometimes people will move in with each other. 
using the criteria they would have used looking for a Craigslist roommate. They'll use that same criteria of like moving in with a partner. Oh, can you afford the rent? This is how much it is. Like we'll have our own separate rooms or we'll have a room together and we get to split the rent. So the, 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 the whole criteria of moving in together is a financial aspect instead of like, okay, is moving in the next step in our courtship? And then where's the next milestone? When, when do you, when do I get the, when do I get the engagement? When do we get married? And I've noticed that sometimes men can use the moving in as a way to delay the possible engagement and marriage with a person. And then, you know, two years down the line, you're still with your roommate. <laughs> Hard to get out of that lease. <laughs> you know, this is just the things that I think. So here I see these two people now that are moving in. And he's said, I love you. And my thought, I love that you have a different perspective. My perspective is he hasn't said, I love you yet. And he's moving in with you. Is it to save rent? Is it, is it that, or does he really care for you? And he wants to live with you and eventually the rest will come. Well, I completely agree with you. I mean, the bottom line is mm-hmm. uh, that was my first thing. It does. He does. Is he trying to save money for the rent? Okay. I mean, now I know, feel so I much mean, better because I felt like yeah, I'm, a, I'm being I, a bitch. You know, <laughs> nobody wants that. I mean, it's a waste of time for her and, and all of that. So I'm assuming that she feels that he is in love with her. Um, I don't think that she would have, I don't, I hope she didn't let him in without knowing that he loves her and that it's going to that and that it's a real thing. If she doesn't know that, then, then she's abort mission. Yeah. But saying, I love you is a, is a somewhat different. I, we don't, I don't know enough about the relationship really. I yeah. really don't. I mean, if, um, if she has a sense that he's just moving in to save, save himself some money, then he's got to go, you know, but if she has the sense that he really is madly in love with her and that, They've had the define the relationship point conversation and she's confident that he's madly in love with her and that he is looking to see if he's got a long-term thing, then, uh, then far out, just be patient and see if he says he loves her. But here's one thing about, you did mention that, you know, one should be engaged before they move in. The only reason I personally wouldn't want that is because I'd like to know what somebody is like before I get engaged to them. I really would. No, so this every time I hear that point, and that's a, such a valid point, Helen. So I'm not taking away from what you just said, but every time I hear that, I always think to myself, how do you not know what someone is like in their house? Have you not slept over for two weeks straight? Have you never been on a five-day vacation? Have you never gone through Ikea? What do you mean you don't know what they're like until you, if, if it takes for you to live together to discover you don't like each other, you didn't like each other before. This is my own personal opinion now. You probably didn't like each other before. You just like kind of ignored things or like you know maybe avoidant of the issue and just went home before you had to tackle it mm-hmm. well the, all the data show that you continue to learn about somebody for years yeah for absolutely for years i love it when you tell me i'm wrong so just keep yeah. telling me well, okay. <laughs> uh you know and um you learn a lot by living with somebody i mean a five-day vacation everything is novel the dope a novelty drives up the dopamine system this is why vacations are so exciting living with somebody for two weeks doesn't mean you've got their your clothes in their closet that you're leaving your socks uh, you know around uh, um that you're you know um you know purchasing things together uh, getting a dog uh, um you know having family over uh, etc it's not the same and you're not going through all the holidays together. I mean, one of the things that my father always said in terms of business is to really know, you know, you, you need two years in any kind of business in a relationship business, some form of business, to see how they handle a holiday, uh, how they handle birthdays, how they handle a sickness, 
uh, how they handle, you know, uh, relatives. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you learn a Helen, lot. What would your father say right now? If he knew that there are people getting into committed relationships that started their relationship during a global pandemic, you've never even seen them. Jared freed the, uh, he's a great comedian has an amazing podcast, J train. And, uh, he said, you've never even been to a restaurant with this person <laughs> or, right. or something. I were to a bar with this person. How can you possibly know if they're a good partner for you? And that's a, such a valid point. And, well, and yeah. Well, I mean, once again, I did a study on this last July of 5,000 people. And as it turns out during this pandemic, uh, a huge number of people got onto video chatting. And, and as it turns out, uh, during this pandemic, people spent more time talking with each other, had more honesty and transparency in their conversations, had more self-disclosure, which leads mm-hmm. to intimacy, became less interested in what the person looks like and much more interested in whether they were financially stable and had full-time employment. So actually, Match is, has, is, is saying that we're in the middle of a dating renaissance, that oh, yeah. people are more and more cautious they're more and more likely to get uh, to really get to know somebody uh, on important matters. I mean, okay, it's nice to go and have sushi with somebody or a hamburger with somebody, but what do you learn? Well, during this pandemic, you learned an awful lot about somebody, you know, what their fears were, what their joys were, what they're missing, how, the how they're coping like with like one tension thing. and et cetera. Yeah. So I disagree. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, people say, oh, well, how can you make a relationship during a pandemic? It's exactly the right time to make a relationship because you're going to have an awful lot of real conversations about real things. The other thing is they're not marrying during this thing. They, they're forming partners. As a matter of fact, 50%, okay, we, we polled 5,000 people, all ages, all backgrounds, et cetera. Uh-huh. Out of the 5,000, 1,000, that's uh, one out of five, went on to video chatting. Now, it's, that's quite a bit considering there's a lot of older people who are single or not even looking for somebody. So anyway, they got a lot, they, they began to trust each other. You see the person's background, you see them at all times of day. They were having, actually were having meals together. They would both order a pizza and eat it together. They would drink together. A certain number of them did exercises together. They played games together. Um, they met each other's pets, et cetera, uh, et cetera. So just because you're, I mean, why is, you know, going to a restaurant any more intimate really than having a long, long conversation for six hours on the, uh, over the internet um, where you can see the person. So um, someone who has know, gotten hundreds of people in relationship this past year, I agree with you. I just, you know, it's just so different how I think what we used to judge people like your manners with a waiter have just drastically changed to, well, okay, how do you treat me in, in this pandemic? Well, there's and no, actually, what I'm saying is I agree with you. You're constantly learning things. I mean, you really can't learn anything about how somebody treats a, a waiter or whether they're going to pay for your cab home or how they kiss for God's sakes. Uh, or, or whether they're going to be a gentleman or a, a lady in, in, in public. Uh, you, there's a lot. What do you, what does one expect? I mean, you can, you know, what relationships are constantly moving either forward or backwards. There are escalation points and there are de-escalation points or, mm-hmm. or, or points where things fail. Mm-hmm. And all the way through the relationship, you're learning more about the person and all of a sudden they say something that's really stupid or something that you really are offended by. And 
and you say, this is not for me. Or they say something that's absolutely hilarious and, and you start laughing your heads off about something and, and it goes forward. So, uh, you know, there's breaking points and escalation points and all through a relationship that is happening. And sure, okay, you can really fall for somebody just by talking to them over the internet. Then you get out in person and you realize you just don't like some important things about them and you break it off. But, uh, you know, I mean, what's the beauty of these days is with very long courtships, you learn a lot about somebody all the way through it. I mean, you can say, sure, let's have a relationship. Let's be serious. You know, even before you meet in person, then you meet in person. And after four months, you realize, you know what? I'm not doing this. And so you break up. So big deal. I mean, this, you know, courtship, it keeps developing. Right. And you just have to let, it doesn't matter where you met. Actually, it does matter where you met. I did a study on on uh, another study for, with Match on singles in America. And as it turns out, people who met on the internet, anywhere on the internet, not just Match, but anywhere on the internet, uh, as opposed to meeting off the internet, uh, were more likely to be fully employed, uh, more likely to have higher education, and more likely uh, to be looking for a long-term partnership. So these days, actually, that is a better way to meet somebody. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to last. I mean, <laughs> we've all had relationships that didn't go very far. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. And then you times change, things happen, and you realize, no, no, I'm not going to do this. So you learn from it and you go on. I'm going to go to our last question, but everything you're saying is so interesting. And so I just want you to know that I really appreciate you. All right. My boyfriend and I are nearly five months in and we are very compatible. We like all the same things and have the same three to five year goals, but we don't really have an emotional connection. I don't feel love at all. And that makes me feel pretty empty at times, but I'm almost 30 now and worried. I am just being a romanticizer. I've been in love before and I know it exists. So while everything else is good with my partner now, I guess it's just hard to let the thought of having that feeling again go. Am I being unrealistic? Wow. I don't think she's being unrealistic. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do do you, Helen, before you keep, do you believe in love? Do I believe in love? I study love. I've studied it for almost 50 years. I know the brain circuitry of it. I know the evolution of it. I know love around the world. I, looking behind me, vastly uh, poetry books, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, sure, I believe in love. I believe in attachment. I believe in romantic love. I believe in the sex drive. I think that in a good partnership, at least I would want all three. And I would, if she, if I were her, be quite concerned that no emotion. I mean, really, no emotion. And that that would really upset me to have no feelings for my partner but i do get it i mean this person seems like they really want to have children they're really concerned about this that would worry me because i really worry that this person would get down the road have the two babies and all of a sudden feel fall madly in love with somebody else and then they're in a real mess so um i i would um, think twice about moving this forward by the way though you know you really can fall madly in love with somebody long into a relationship. I had a man in my life years ago. God, he was a pest. He pushed, you know, he was just constantly wanting to, to, uh, you know, to be with me. And one day I fell in love with him. After a couple of years, I fell in love with him. And I remained in love with him for 18 years. We went around the world regularly. So love is, it's a sticky substance and it can, 
you know, Cupid can show up anytime. So she's going to have to decide when she's going to give up, how long she's going to wait. Um, uh, I mean, I wonder if she has good sex with him because good sex can trigger feelings of romantic love. I wonder whether he's in love with her. It's always sort of scary to be talking about other people's romances when you know so little about them. But uh, just the bottom line is I'd really be concerned if I was living with somebody for whom I felt no emotion. Emotion is... Love is very important uh, uh, brain system. You know, laughter drives up the dopamine system, makes you feel good, boosts the immune system, it boosts the endorphins for pain relief. When you play with somebody, it, you really have brain growth. I mean, being happy with somebody, being in love with somebody is very good for you physiologically as well as emotionally and socially. So I wouldn't want to give that up if I were her. No, no. She's not just romantic. She's like all the rest of us. She wants that romance and she should find it one way or another. I have a similar perspective, but a different angle to this. And that is, as you may know, my company is agape match, agape being the word for love. And there's many definitions for agape. But the one that I subscribe to the most is um, Aristotle's definition, which is one soul's recognition of another soul. I feel like that sometimes is what we call the vibe, right? But essentially, to me, it's like when I read this, I think to myself, like, I never considered that someone could fall in love with someone after a few years. That's never crossed my mind. Well, it has happened to you a couple times, apparently. <laughs> so I, as I see this, I think, I, I think two things stick to me. It's like, do, do you feel like your soul recognizes their soul? In one case, in my case, one case, time, no. And one time, this time, the man I'm married to, it's just, uh, it's everything. I have everything. But let's let's describe really for your viewers what romantic love really is. It's got a f- pile of characteristics. The first thing is that a person takes on special meaning. Everything about them is special. The car they drive is different from every other car in the parking lot, the street they live on. Everything about them becomes special. Then you focus your attention on them. You can list what you don't like about them, but you focus on it and just toss those aside. High energy, real euphoria when things are going well, despair when things are going poorly, all kinds of bodily reactions, insomnia, loss of appetite, et cetera. Emotional dependence. You you wonder, you know, did they call? uh, Did they write? You check your text or email. Separation anxiety. You don't like to be apart. Frustration attraction. When they don't call, when they don't write, you just want to hear from them more. Real sexual desire. Possessiveness. Jealousy. Uh, But the three main characteristics of romantic love are craving for emotional union. And it sounds like that's what this person doesn't yet have. Intrusive thinking. You think about the person constantly. I don't know if she does or doesn't. And you're highly motivated to win the person. So it sounds as if this person is craving for the emotional union, has not found it yet. And um, it's an essential part of of a partnership if she can't find it. Well, it's been five months. I don't know how long her relationship has been before they started going out. Um, But uh, And I don't know if he's in love with her. I don't know enough about it, but the bottom line is, yes, we do want emotional union. It is part of, of romance and attachment. Right. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Helen, um, it was wonderful speaking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me on Ask a Matchmaker. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for the people that are currently about to engage in dating this summer, vaccinated, hopefully? Get on the internet. It's where the boys are where the girls are, get on the internet, 
get to know them. It's work. Dating is work. I don't want to say it isn't work, but it is work. Uh, you know, um, get uh, six good photographs of you yourself, one at work, one at a hobby, one dressed up, one doing any kind of sport, one fa- good face shot, one good body shot. Just get pictures is important. Uh, say what your interests are, your favorite events or ideas or, or books. When you go on a date, uh, have an exciting activity, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But don't make these two mistakes. If you're going to go on the internet, these are the two mistakes you should not make. Number one, don't binge. The brain is not well built to uh, for so many options. The brain is well built for about five to nine options. So after you've met nine people, and I mean met nine people, either on the internet so you can see them, or in person, after you've, after you've met nine people, get off the internet and get to know at least one of those people better. The more you get to know somebody, the more you like them, the more you think that they like you. So um, the bottom line is don't binge because the more people you meet, the less likely you are to find anybody. That's number one. Number two, think of reasons to say yes. The brain is built to say no. It's a huge brain region called a negativity bias. We're built to remember the negative. So all of a sudden, when you meet somebody for the first time, you know very little about them. So suddenly you say, oh, I don't know, he's got brown shoes, that's not cool. Or he likes cats and I like dogs, it'll never, forget about it. <laughs> if, there's, if, if they fit within your love map, I call it, at all, give people a chance. Think of reasons to say yes. They're out there. You got to do a little work to find them. Dr. Helen Fisher, thank you again for joining me on Ask a Matchmaker. Where can my listeners find you? Oh, I'm just doing my website again, uh, helenfisher.com. Or um, a learning site, uh, theanatomyoflove.com. And of course, all of my six books. And I guess there's a lot of podcasts out there with me and certainly a lot of my speeches on the internet. Yes, definitely look up YouTube. All her TED Talks are on there as well. And they're fantastic. Thank you again so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker each week. I feel so grateful to receive your questions. If you still have questions, and I'm sure you do, head over to askamatchmaker.com. You can submit an audio question. You can submit a written question. You can submit a rant. You can submit a closure letter. And hopefully we'll get to yours in an upcoming episode and get you those answers or closure that you are looking for. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. Until then, be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.